You are listening to Work Human Radio, pioneered by Globoforce, bringing more humanity to today's workplaces. You are enjoying our special edition coverage recorded live from Phoenix, Arizona, and Work Human 17. And now, here are today's hosts. All right, good morning and welcome back to Work Human Radio. I am your host, Todd Schnick, joined by my friend and colleague, Rayanne Thorne. Rayanne, this is a Boy, is this next conversation going to be an important one. I am one. very excited about this, Todd. And thanks for inviting me to participate with Work Human Radio. It's great to be here. Well, it's, I feel it's a privilege for us Absolutely. to be in a position to where we can help push this movement forward. It's so important in yep. today's workplace. Yep. I'm, I'm excited about who we're going to be interviewing next. I am, too. This is going to be a fun conversation. Thank God we have about four hours to conduct it. So, <laughs> Absolutely. We I'm have in. She off- just had a heart attack when you said that. <laughs> I am we in. have an awful lot of important things to discuss. We're joined this morning by Cy Wakeman. She's a drama researcher. Have we ever interviewed I a have, drama researcher? I've never even heard that before. And I grew up in theater. I was on stage at age of three. And I've never heard of a drama researcher, well, so this is going to be fun. In the context of the work human movement, oh, this is going okay. to be a critical conversation. She's also a New York Times bestselling author, and has a new book coming out soon called No Ego. And boy, that's going to be an important one I for know. me personally, I'll tell you that. <laughs> you, you especially, Todd. <laughs> mm-hmm. Cy Wakeman, welcome to the show. Thank you. So glad to be here. Well, we're glad Pleasure to have, to have you. you. It's yeah. a privilege to spend some time with you, Cy. Uh, before we, uh, I have a feeling our audience is pretty familiar with you. Uh, but just in case, uh, share with us a bit about you, your background, and the work that you're out there doing. You know, I actually um, did not start out as a drama researcher. I started out as a therapist, a marriage and family counselor. Oh, there's a lot of drama there, though. Yes, yeah, so. exactly. <laughs> you know, I was 21 years old. It was my first job. I never had a family, never been married, but somehow scored a, a position. Oh, wow. <laughs> Very unqualified <laughs> as a therapist. Um, but went on then to take on um, leadership roles as I worked in a, a large medical system. And what I was surprised by when I was promoted to be a leader is how little what we knew in psychology and what was really evidence-based and what we knew about humans, how little of that was really tied to what we taught leaders oh. in the classes about how to lead. Wow. So what we were actually teaching leaders because I had that psychology background, I knew would cause more drama, would fuel entitlement, instead of really call people up to greatness. And so my first experience as a leader and then promoted into the VP role and, and then you know served the CEO and really worked in some um, C-suite positions was always looking at what we were teaching people from an HR perspective and how off kilter it was from what I knew would work with people and with humans, not just to keep people happy and and engaged, but to keep people accountable and really producing incredible results. And so I started leading my team differently um, according to what I knew and what my training was about. We became very well known throughout the nation for incredible results and super high engagement. And when asked how I did that, it wasn't always the typical HR answer. So people started to ask me what I did. I talked to them a lot about drama. That's how I got the name Drama Researcher. I love that. And we, uh, I propose a whole different, more modern form of leadership and more modern form of leadership um, teaching and, uh, and development. So we're, we're having some really exciting times because we're seeing almost instantaneous results from That's doing things a bit different. It's a big breakthrough, which we haven't had a breakthrough for like 30 years in leadership. Mm-hmm. So we've been, preaching, yep, we've been preaching the same old stuff. And, uh, and, and we know a lot more about how humans work. Mm-hmm. So ditching the drama 
you're going to be presenting here at the Work Human Conference um, in Phoenix, Arizona. Tell us a little bit more about what you're going to be uncovering for those that aren't going to be able to be here. Sure. I think probably the biggest shock will be um, in researching drama, I've actually been able to quantify how much time each person in the workplace spends in drama. And it's two hours and 26 minutes a day. Wow. Now, if you're out there doing some math, take your head count, oh. multiply by two and a half hours a day, multiply a by day salary and benefits. It's yeah. over a day a week. Exactly. Exactly. That is energy that's going into Wasted. disruptive behavior. Um, or un- managing it. Uh-huh. Unproductive thinking, dealing with tattling, resisting change, lack of buy-in, oh. um, lack of engagement. And, and so when you think about those of us in HR and leadership really wanting to make a difference for the bottom line, really wanting to upcycle resources, really wanting to freeze things up, if we could conserve two and a half hours per day per headcount and put it back into the workplace either engagement or productivity or results, it would absolutely blow up our workplaces in a positive way. And the thing is, is that we've come to accept drama as a cost of doing business. Oh, if you have people, you're going to have some drama. drama. As if there's nothing to do about that. But as a therapist, I know that there are ways of thinking that produce better results. And so if drama is waste... And you think about waste in the workplace. The, ra- the way we get rid of waste in the workplace is we use better processes. So if drama is emotional waste, how do you get rid of emotional waste <laughs> in the workplace? You use better mental processes. Right. So leaders' jobs aren't to motivate and inspire and just recognize. Leaders' jobs are to teach people better mental processes by which they can eliminate emotional waste, upcycle that that energy and that time and put it into a better workplace. We'll talk more about how to solve this problem, but but set the table for us. How does drama get infused into the workplace in the first place? What are we not thinking about? What are we not doing that that all of a sudden, before we even realize it's there. it, it's, it's permeated there. and is infesting the organization. How, how have we gotten here to where this is a problem? You know, I actually um, did a lot of research and wrote a lot about this in my um, upcoming book, No Ego. I was going to say, it's got to be ego. Ego, ego has to be tied it's into ego this. Totally. Because our ego is our narrator of the world. It's our filter through which we see the world. And our ego is a horrible source of information. It corrupts all data that comes in. And the way it corrupts data, for instance, is it paints me as a victim. Makes me feel horrible. Yep. I let it. My leader, you know, is out to get me. It, it, It leads me to believe that the reason I can't succeed or be happy is my circumstances. And our circumstances aren't the reasons we can't be happy or successful. Our circumstances are the reality in which we must be happy and successful. And that makes happiness and success far more of a choice and less dependent on our circumstances. But the ego is the basis of all of this. So when people ask me for my best advice, I tell them, stop believing everything you think. Question most of what you think. It's all about that little voice that's the little voice. being horrible to yeah. us, and we let it in, yeah. and then that, that leads to gossip, then it leads to more tattling, ego and pride and tattling. Scorekeeping. And drama. Yeah. Drama in the workplace. So and if we can stay out of it, for instance, you may just ask me a question. You may ask me, you know, Sai, where does drama come from? Right. And if I had no ego in that moment, I would say, she's curious and let's talk about ego. But if I listened to my ego, it would be, that was a set up question. I wonder where <laughs> she's going. She's trying to make me she's look like a fool on me. radio. Yeah. And I can't believe she did this to me. And I thought we were friends. And right. But if I just edit my story, these simple tools, 
what do I know for sure? Rayanne asked me a question. What could I do next that would add value? Work to increase our understanding and have more dialogue about that. Work becomes this beautiful, peaceful place when I go beyond ego and and I I just drop in behind the ego. It's that place in your brain that's all about innovation, collaboration, recognition, all the things we talk about at Work Human. I, I love that you are raising awareness of this and actually talking about it because it'd be easy to say, that's something childish. We shouldn't bring it up. Grow up. You shouldn't be new thinking age, that way. Or it's right, self-help. Right. No, but, well, well, it is kind of, right? But, mm-hmm. but that's what we need. Yeah, that's and, what we need right now. And people just that's, don't that's realize how quickly or how many times their ego is out to play at work. They just, they really think they're thinking logically in database. I can name five times last week when this happened to me. Yeah. Right, and I work and I work alone in my house. <laughs> <laughs> well, the self has a role to play here in terms right. of getting, a, and you said a realization, just right. awareness, awareness of, oh, I'm doing this to myself. I didn't How even I doing realize this? that. Yeah. So that's groundbreaking in and of itself. What role does leadership in an organization mm-hmm. play to help? solve this problem? You know, it's really, um, that is such a great question because that's where our modern leadership comes from. Many things we teach leaders to do actually engage the ego rather than diffuse the drama and bypass the ego. So for instance, many of us are taught as leaders, everyone needs a chance to vent. So one of our roles, if you're upset and you come to me as I let you vent and then we problem solve together. But venting is the ego's way of avoiding self-reflection. Mm-hmm. So and it's all outward. Yeah, an ego can't solve, a person can't be in ego and self-reflect at the same time. Hmm. So when you study two-year-olds, what you'll notice about two-year-olds is they can't really hold two things in their minds at once. So if they have a spoon and you want to get the spoon from them, the worst thing you do is just grab it. Right. What you do is you trade Distract it. them. Yeah, you distract else. them. You right. go, do you want some Cheerios? <laughs> and they drop the spoon to pick up the Cheerios. Right. Most of us are like two-year-olds when it comes to ego. So your ego can't spoon and Cheerio at the same time, can't vent and self-reflect at the same time. What we teach leaders to do today is grab the spoon. Let me give you some feedback. Let me tell you what I need you to do. Or let me enable you and then blame you for being so entitled. Right, right. right? So what we teach people to do is bypass the ego. So if you're venting, I need to get you self-reflecting. Venting leads to more venting. It feels good, but so does crack cocaine, and that's not really you know, a lifestyle, <laughs> right? So one example is my open door when people come in to vent. I quickly ask them a question that gets them into self-reflection. So let's say you come in to vent. I just say, take a breath. Your brain needs, needs oxygen. Now, stop venting. What would great look like? If you were great right now, if you were the most incredible employee, happiest highest impact employee ever, what would you be doing? Well, I wouldn't be in here complaining and judging my colleague. I would go invite them to have a great dialogue. Everyone knows what great looks like because it's what we judge other people on. And so the question, what would great look like? Venting stops. You're back in the better part of your brain. You're looking at and the mirror yeah, at yourself. You're looking at the mirror. And, and then all those things we teach people, innovation, collaboration, creativity, you know, teamwork, those come naturally because it, those are our natural state once the drama's gone. Most people are not good at self-reflection, Mm-mm. right? Because I, I know that I'm hearing you and understanding you, just developing that skill and practicing that 
dramatically impacts all of yes, what you're talking everything. about here. How do you get better at that? I mean, is there a simple, simple couple of steps for someone who's not doing that very well or not doing it at all, how they can begin that process? Absolutely. And it's really what we teach leaders to focus on most of their leadership with their employees for themselves and others. But we have simple tools and assignments for self-reflection. So a simple tool is edit your story. Let's say you come in and you go, I got a call from my boss and he's micromanaging me and he doesn't think I can handle this project. I go, you know what? Let's take down that story. You know, he's a micromanager. He treats me like a child, just unfiltered on paper. Mm -hmm. And then we say, what do you know for sure? And when you edit the story and take out everything you don't know for sure, all you have on paper is he called to check on my project. <laughs> and then a simple question, what could you do next right. to help? No, Sai, he really is a micromanager. Okay, what could you do if the guy tends to micromanage? If you know this. Yeah. Stop judging, mm -hmm. start helping. I could go to him and I could say, what could I do to build your confidence in me so you feel the need for less detail during the process? What can I do to build that confidence? There's always something we can do. And this is where it leads to engagement and impact and all the things that we're trying to do. Um, well, it's the good do. ego, right? Yeah. It's, it's actually listening it's to the good voice. Yeah. That's the confidence that we Versus were talking ego. about before. Um, and and en enabling you to be the expert on what you're presenting yeah. to this. So to there's the little tools. Let's say that Todd tended to, in meetings, um, his body language, you know, shut conversation down. Instead of me giving him a bunch of long feedback about that or a big 360, we teach leaders to give feedback very short, self-reflection long with an assignment. I'd say, Todd, it's um, been brought to me by people who care about you that at times your body language is negative in meetings. But don't take my word for it. See, I'm not engaging the ego. Next time you're in a meeting, put your tablet on video, turn it towards you, and then watch that. And after you go through a couple of those, come back to me and we'll just talk about what you might have seen. Assignment for self-reflection. See, I'm not going to tell Todd who he is. Todd needs to check with Todd. Yeah. It's called self-referral. He comes back and he says, you know what? I found out that when I'm really thinking through something, I tend to really um, look close, angry. Close out. Yeah. Close, close or I'm down, looking yeah. down. Yeah. And so... Um, I don't even tell him what to do. I say, what do you think he should do about that? He goes, I don't know. I go, who do you know has really good um, interactions in meetings? Well, Kate and Tom. Awesome. Assignment for self-reflection. Go ask Kate and Tom the three tricks that they have to be great in meetings. And then come back and we'll talk about it. Now, I'm holding you accountable. But I'm not enabling you. And I'm not giving you somebody for your ego to and engage with. I'm not with. chastising you. Yep. Feedback short, one sentence or less. Don't take my word for it. And an assignment for self-reflection. And we find that when people talk about millennials and how they won't take feedback, it's not millennials. It's egos. It's the human condition we've all had across centuries yep. that we just seem to lead differently. The millennials are just finally sick of it enough to tell us. Yeah, they have a voice. What you know? What you have in essence just done is teach us how to give better feedback. Yeah. And more importantly, well, maybe not more importantly, but importantly is also how to take Correct. feedback. Correct. Yeah, take feedback yeah. for sure. And, pro and not be defensive. Most of us are so defensive when someone says, well, you're not doing. Boy, that changes everything. It if, does. If, if the feedback process cannot be a punitive one, yeah. but, a, but a, a teaching, a coachable, yeah. a therapeutic kind of a relationship changes everything, right? It is. And, and your level of defensiveness to feedback actually shows you how much of your ego you have left. Mm -hmm. because anything you could tell me as feedback, 
I need to be able to find a way that it is true. So I might say to somebody, don't take my word for it. Just walk with us a few days to see if there's any truth in it. And your assignment is to find how it's true. For instance, somebody said to me, I've got feedback you'll deny, you'll defend. I said, what is it? They said, you're a murderer, right? And I walked with that a couple of days because we practice this stuff at our office. And I came up with three examples of how I am a murderer. I voted for a governor who shortly after we voted him in, he um, um, brought in um, capital punishment. And we have people on death row, which is against a value of mine. And so I have murdered people through my vote. And so when you can live at work with that level of openness, nothing can hurt you. There's like, there's not one thing people can say that without ego, you can't go, hey, could be true. The the emotion, there's so much emotion connected to that, right? And we, and we protect, we, we, no, I'm good. I'm, you know, don't look at me like that. So it's, it's very easy to get caught up in, it's you. Yeah. It's not me, yeah. it's you. Or it's, it's them. It's not me, it's them. And see, to your, protect ourselves. Your stress at work especially doesn't come from your reality. It comes from the story you make up about your reality. <laughs> the stress didn't come that my boss called to check on my project. The, the, stress, the stress came from me making up a story as a micromanager. How do you draw the fine line? I don't know how to ask this question, so I'm going to throw it out there and let you interpret it. But we are encouraging people to be more human, to be more authentic, to be them, their real selves. But then we're also saying, but you can't be dramatic. And humans are just a mess. We're, we're, emotional, we're emotional. Emotionally driven on everything. How, how do you balance that? Because I, I want someone to be more open. Such and more, a great question. How, so how, do you, how do you balance that? Let me blow your minds here. So most of what we're upset about never even happened. <laughs> so I don't want to turn people into robots. But when you edit your story, your boss called. So if we took the yeah, story was, two ways, listen exactly to my emotion. Exactly. So my emotion is I grab Ray Ann in the hallway. I'm like, Ray Ann. So he calls me again and he asks me about Project X and it's ridiculous. And he treats me like a child. And I am just, and this, I'm done with it and I'm going to look for a new job. This is just ridiculous. Now when I edit my story, I go, Ray Ann, can I talk to you a second? My boss called. <laughs> He checked on the project. Now, tell it with the same emotion, and you'll see how nuts you are. Talk done. So my <laughs> right. boss called, and he asked me about my project. It sounds ridiculous. It so when people say we want people to be more authentic, our authentic selves are people who are not judging, they're helping. And so when people are judging, you're not helping, you're not serving, you're not adding value. And when you're being emotional, most of the time you're venting, and that's ego stuff. To be your authentic self, you've done your authentic work, you've gone behind your ego, you've edited your stories, so that you can have easy conversations. Like, gosh, I made up a story about you that you didn't give me this work on purpose and that you're trying to set me up. I'm just wondering if that's true. That's authentic. Most people go, no, I totally forgot. Yeah. You know, and if there is one evil person out there, then even when you come to them, most people, you know, will realize that you're at least authentically trying not to judge them. They'll respond. If they're going to respond, they'll respond better. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So most of the people that will be listening to this, this show uh, are, are what I would term a 360 degree leader. They've got a couple of people that report to them many people that they influence because of their work in HR and maybe three or four people above them sure. that they report to. So there's this interesting place in, in the, the workplace, right? Where they are right in the middle, they're hearing drama. They're also getting the, 
word down to them, stop the drama, right? Yeah. yeah. Right. So, so when we, when you're preparing for a conversation like ditch the drama that you're going to be giving here, presenting here, what, how do you, how do you engage with the 360 degree leader that has this responsibility upward and downward? Here's and what can they do? Is there an easy way? Well, here's the beauty about reality-based leadership is it has no reliance on position. It is only about managing energy. So great leaders simply manage energy of any interaction, whether you're my boss right, or right. the president of the United right. States. or So what I decide in a meeting is where the energy goes. So if I'm in a meeting and all the energy is going into why we can't and why we shouldn't have to, I can simply manage the energy by saying, folks, what if we put energy into how we could? What if we just talked about what we want to create and how we could? That simple intervention of managing energy, and if no one will go with me, I'll say, here's where I'm going to put my energy. I want to focus here. So if I have a boss causing drama complaining to me that none of them are doing what they're supposed to do, I can just manage the energy of that by saying, um, would you spend five minutes with me helping me better understand what you want to create? And then I ask you a question, what's your strategy, Ben? And uh, what would you like to change in your strategy? And just through these questions and getting people reflecting, it doesn't matter where people are in the work chain. That's great. It's kind of a segue to my next question, because I, I think most people listening may assume we're talking about the team, the people. They're the ones that are all dramatic. And, but what happens if, if the boss is one that's, that's being dramatic? How do, you, how do you exist in that world? How do you turn that around in a positive <laughs> way? So, and, and first of all, one of the things we do is that we forget bosses are human. Yeah. Right. And we also, we, we hold them to a higher standard, which to me, we're here to serve at the pleasure of our boss. And mm-hmm. my number one job is to um, help them, not judge them. And so we have a saying at work, stop judging, start helping. And if I'm judging you and not helping you, even when you're my boss, that's That's the least service I can give you. So on the back of our badges at work, we actually have a question, how can I help? And whenever I'm judging, I remind myself by reading that badge. So let's say you're a boss and you are wigging out. You are just like, it's the team and they screwed this up and it's a mess. I could sit there and judge you. I'm like, you're acting like a two-year-old and you get paid the big bucks. And, you know, you're the one that came up with the dumb strategy. (laughs) Or I could put myself in a more helpful situation and stop judging and think, what what could I do next that would be most helpful? And it might be, you know, you told me many things you're upset with. Um, What's the first thing that you think is really at the core? Help me better understand what's most disappointing to you and how this turned out. Um, What do you think your part in that was? What was my part? Um, if I could carry one message on your behalf to the team, what would it be? And would you mind if I cleaned that up and, and we made it a bit more positive? But see, none of that work can happen when I'm sitting in judgment of you. I'm, you're the boss. You're making millions of bucks, and I have to clean your work up. Mm-hmm. Well, my job is sitting at the table as a human talent resource person. Yeah. So that, and most people, when they see how the sausage is made, they get more judgmental, <laughs> right? <laughs> but imagine if somebody watched you get ready in the morning. Right. You know, it, so we, it, 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 get, it goes back to these simple platitudes, stop judging, start helping, that work in any situation. And, and so all the things we teach here, you know, recognition, innovation, collaboration, engagement, if you boil those down to simple topics, that rules that people can walk with, that was my second book, Reality-Based Rules of the Workplace. If you learn five rules, you got it all covered. You just follow the rules. So I have a question for you. Let me see if I can get there. Um, if, 
if the idea is to lose the drama, but you have um, an employer that is not only creating drama, but wanting you to, you know, push back, push back. I'm going to present something to you. You don't agree with it, and you know the direction he wants you to go anyway, but he's disappointed if you don't push back. How do you, as, as an employee with a boss who's saying, I need, I need you to be stronger in your opinion, but you don't want to create drama because your strong opinion is going to create, create, drama. create drama. So how do, you, how do you balance that? So um, the only thing you can control is your drama. If somebody asks me for something, I try and follow the simple instructions and give them what I need right. if it feels authentic. So if somebody wants me to push back and that may be more upsetting to them, um, I can't control the outcome. It's none of my business. Okay. So if they want me to push back, I'll say, you know what, if you want my top three um, worries or concerns about this, here's where they would be. Okay. And if you wake out about that, I sit calmly and wait. It's being the adult, you know? right? It's yeah. the same thing you advise your children on. Exactly. Like be the adult in the situation. And we have even more sophisticated things, but they're easy, called tools. So if I really thought your idea was um, worrisome, a lot of people go, well, do you want my opinion? And opinions usually are why we can't, right. or why, what right. my preferences are, why I don't agree with you. And I tell people, I don't want your opinion. I want your expertise on how we could. So most people, mm, that's when really you're pushing back, you're giving your opinion about why it won't work. That doesn't add any value. When I want you to critique my idea, I want you to use your expertise to tell me what I would need to do to make it work. But we have tools. One's called negative brainstorming that if you have concerns about something, instead of saying my opinion and my concerns, we get it out of the ego by making it conscious and visible. We go to the wall and we write down what's everybody's concerns. And then we look at probability and impacts because so many things we fear will never happen or they aren't really that big a deal. But if there are some concerns up there that are really going to get in our way of being successful, then as a team, we just work on what's risk mitigation strategies. Now we've gone from why we can't to how we could with a tool. But as long as it's in your heads, your ego's twisting it. So we teach a set of tools. We have a whole toolkit for people, anyone, doesn't have to be the leader, to get up away from the table when there's verbal discussion. The ego loves ambiguity and extremes. You get up and you just make it conscious and visible on the board and you just talk through like adults. It's adulting. It's adulting. Right. We talk through about what are the risks and if we can mitigate them. There you go. And so pushback then becomes not personal. It becomes, let's run your idea through some business discipline thinking and see what we would need to add to them to make them successful. When people ask me for stuff, I always tell them my name is yes. Absolutely. Now let's talk about how. But if I start with no, right. the conversation closes over. the door. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't even, doesn't even allow for collaboration or finding a different way. Exactly. Wow. How different a workplace could be. Some <laughs> it of these really I mean, it's, it's mind-blowing <laughs> to think about it. The, all right. So the new book, we've talked about it, uh, No Ego. Uh, tell us a little bit more about it. I'm really excited. So it is up online right now. Any major bookseller or independent can pre-order it for you. It comes out September 19th. The name of the book is called No Ego, and it's how to cut the cost of drama and entitlement and um, drive big results. And we put end entitlement in there because entitlement is such a big topic where we don't lead differently and then we blame the millennials. Right. And I personally don't think that the millennials, um, I think we all need different leadership and it's not about millennials. But the way people get entitled is we enable that. They don't come that way. And so we talk a lot about um, how we are doing change wrong 
and uh, we get away from change management, how we're doing engagement in some pretty flawed ways, and uh, all these ego bypass assignments and tools and techniques are in the new book. We try to automate engagement. How can you? Yeah, we can't automate engagement. But here's what's worse, is we believe that the organization's responsible for engagement. Mm. And what we know is engagement's a choice right. that I make every day. Right. right. Well, how do you, I mean, so I mean, as a leader, your fingerprints are in everything. And you have to recognize that. You've created these monsters. But then I also think about, well, is there a way, so I, hearing what you're talking about and what, you, what, you're, what you're educating us and teaching us about this drama-free workplace, <laughs> is there a way to recruit for this? And, Absolutely. And when, you, when you're looking at potential talent to say, hmm, this person is going to be a drama queen, this person's not, That's, right. how do you look for that? And it's wonderful because people go, does this stuff actually work? I go, come work at reality-based leadership for a day. And the first thing they, they, they look at is how quiet it is in our workplace. Because when you don't have drama, there's not like, a lot <laughs> to talk no about, right? <laughs> but secondly, how much fun people are having right. and what, you know, how much we get done. So we know that there are five heavy hitters when it comes to what we call emotional inexpensiveness. And those heavy hitters are accountability and um, the ability to capitalize on change, reality-based thinking, this edit your story, the ability to align quickly with organizations, and the ability to drive results. Competencies, many of your listeners are very familiar with. You can test these first through behavior-based interview questions. And readers, if you're interested in that, you go to realitybasedleadership.com, access the extras, all free out there. We've got interview questions for you. We have tons for you. But um, you also can test people for this. So we tell people wrong interview times and we see how they react to a change. That's great. We, um, in the middle of an interview, I get up, my assistant calls me out on a fake emergency. I get up, she sits down, she's 30 two years old and I say just continue the interview and keep good notes I want to see how people respond how they react to, to that. all places people who, who are all places the organization because what they don't realize is Sarah has a lot more power at work than I do right she's my chief of staff I'm never there you're going to be working for her right and so we just have these different ways that we test just those five competencies then we coach from the day you come on because people can't do this perfectly. The, I screw this. I wrote the book on it, and I screw it up, <laughs> but only daily. Because you're human. That's not the point. We all have this human condition. Right. But what we do do is help people get back on track. And then we make calls early and often that you might not be a fit for us. And here's the deal. If you're at an employee right now, and you can't stop judging, and you can't stop blaming, then we have a rule. You either stay in joy or leave in peace. But there's no third option. Don't yeah. stay and complain. Don't stay and sabotage. No. Don't stay and hate the organization and wish they would change. It's like stay, enjoy, or leave in peace. No third option. Right. It's, the, it's the whole, um, you can't keep doing the same thing and expect yeah. different, different results. Different results. That's right. the definition of insanity, right? right? right. Uh, it's also part of the problem is that there's, a, there's an initial coaching phase in the onboarding, but then it ends and it, you never deal with them again. I mean, that, yeah, this process should always... This coaching and, and almost a therapist relationship ought to continue forever. Forever. And you know, the best motivator and the best coach is reality. And leaders don't need to do more coaching. They need to do less coddling and less protecting people from reality. And so, the entitlement. Yeah. It, which, so it's not me coaching you. It's me saying, let's look at footage of your presentation or let's look at your results. But the best coaching doesn't come from the leader to the employee because I'm probably the busiest and the least in tune. The best coaching, and we call them just coaching moments, no ego moments, are when um, as peers we can just self-reflect 
and, um, and, and hold space for each other to self-reflect. What I mean by that is if I come to Utah complaining about Rayanne, instead of you colluding with me, you go, you know, one of the things I am willing to do is hold some space for you while you think about mm-hmm. how you might improve that relationship. That's a great thing. Rather than collude with me about her. And then you can hold some space to say, hey, you know, I really would love to support you to go back and talk to her. And so we, we call it sense-making mentoring, but mentors in our life that help us not go into ego. And so it, we put too much responsibility on the leader to coach the employee. And what we need to move towards is self-reflection and moment-by-moment connections between let's subscribe to this way of living and know we'll all screw it up and then help each other back on the path. You know, it's just, it's like yoga. You start ki- skipping a couple of practices. You get a friend who calls you up and says, I'll be picking you up. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. it's having those types of people in your life. Yep, yep. I love labeling it collusion because th- that makes it dirty. It, it makes is dirty. the gossip so much dirtier dirty. and the cheap talk and what it really puts. What's the purpose? Yeah. And so the much of what is to drive drama and, it and to drama. Hurt, hurt other people. And the way we handle change, we introduce change. The leaders do all the work. They define it. They coach it. They teach it. They train it. They, yeah. And the employee has no responsibility. They just have to react to it and yeah. critique it and get in drama about it. We have a change collusion. model that's shared responsibility. And it's based on willingness. Engagement. We interview you on what you believe in your circumstances is wrong. Right. Okay. Our engagement, we go, what would you like different in your circumstances? What are you willing to do to get that? And then how can we help as an organization? So we actually have an engagement survey that has questions that test your accountability and ask you about things that lead to engagement. And then we filter your answers through your accountability level so that in our engagement survey, we don't even listen to the um, victims. If you're low accountable in the way we measure accountability, which is valid and reliable, we throw out your answers because we're going to listen to the drivers, not the victims. And so we have a way of even making engagement surveys and pulse surveys drama-free. It's Love revolutionary. It. Love it. Because the same behavior can't please a high accountable and a low accountable at the same time. But in engagement, we're listening to the low accountables because their voices are louder. And we need to be listening to the high accountables because they're the ones driving the business. So we're really turning every wow. part of HR on its head. On its head. It's very modern leadership. It's blowing people's minds. And uh, we're excited. Uh, well, you have us excited as well. Sai, <laughs> unfortunately, we are running low on time. Before I let you go, should anyone want to contact you with any questions about any of this, uh, learn about the work of reality-based leadership, and most importantly, get their hands on a couple of copies of these New York Times bestselling books, where do they go? So for the books, any bookstore, anyone online or our favorite independent sellers, um, it's reality-based leadership. Reality-Based Rules and No Ego, three great books. Um, we have a website, realitybasedleadership.com, but uh, we don't like to make you guys do all the work. We're producing incredible content for social media. So Instagram, at Cy Wakeman, Twitter, oh, at Cy Wakeman, um, Snapchat. Um, we have a YouTube channel, um, our own channel, um, youtube.com backslash Cy Wakeman. And we put out amazing documentary-type footage where you can see us every day. Right now, we're taping this podcast Perfect. to end up on social media. So you can see our work. Um, you get um, memes daily, and you get video content uh, almost every other day. So you can become a raving fan just by following us on Perfect. those mediums. You don't have well, to do any work. It's going to feed the hunger. Yeah. Everybody tells me people are distracted at work. I want to be the distraction. <laughs> yeah. When they go to Instagram, I want them reading my stuff. I'll read my stuff. Well, you have two more raving fans here. And yes, uh, just a, sure. a quick heads up. The, uh, the, the ways you deal 
school two-year-olds work just as well for radio show hosts. <laughs> so just make a note about that. Cy Wakeman, a drama researcher and a New York Times best-selling author. Great to have you. Thanks again for stopping Thank by. What an honor. Thank you. It's been fabulous. The honor has been ours. All right. All the time we have for now, Todd and Rayanne signing off from Phoenix. We'll see you again soon on Work Human Radio. Work Human Radio is brought to you by Globoforce, pioneers of the work human movement. Globoforce helps make work more human for millions of people and organizations worldwide. Learn more by visiting Globoforce.com and join the work human movement by following us on Facebook, Twitter, and the Work Human Community Forum on LinkedIn. Thanks again for listening to Work Human Radio.